Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and the things that make it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that could impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deeper dive into a financial planning topic and talk about some of the details around it. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to ask a question, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, submit your question, and I'll be in contact with you. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update, and this is for the week ending November 8th, 2019. It was a great week in the market. The Dow went up almost one and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 went up 0.85. The NASDAQ went up just a little over a percent. Gold dropped three and three quarters percent. Crude oil went up two percent. And the 10-year Treasury yield went up 14.62 percent with a current rate of one percent Nine four two, So it looks like the interest rate environment is thinking that perhaps the Fed is done lowering rates because we had a nice movement to the upside. If you are a bondholder, if you are a lender, a raise in interest rates is always a good thing for you. This was another record-setting week in the stock market, For the most part, the market is deciding that there's going to be a trade deal between China and the U.S. A little cold water got thrown on that idea late into the week, but overall the market seems to think there will be a deal. I, for one, have quit predicting these things, and I'm just sitting back and watching and waiting and seeing whether we can actually create a good trade deal with China or not. So it would be a really good thing if we knew there wasn't going to be a trade war, if some of these tariffs could come off, it would be a big boom to the stock market. You know, the stock market that's been pretty much on fire anyway would have another huge burst of energy probably close out the year very well if that were to happen. I do think it's a little risky to count on it. So I, for one, am just sitting back and watching and waiting, and we will deal with situations as they occur. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I have a couple of really interesting topics to talk about this week, things that I think might impact you very directly. The first article was concerning the SEC calling out target date funds 
and saying that they need to be more clear and more transparent in what they're doing. You've probably heard of a target date fund. A target date fund or a retirement date fund is a blending of stocks and bonds that over time becomes more conservative until when you're 65 and ready to retire, according to the fund company, you are in a good position. They've taken risk off the table. So if the market goes south at exactly the wrong moment, you're not getting left holding the bag with an all stock portfolio, say, when you're 65. Well, the SEC has a couple of cautions with this, and then I also do. The first thing the SEC is worried about, you know when you have a 401k plan. That 401k plan typically has a plan sponsor where your assets are held. And there's many companies, and nothing I'm saying right now is an endorsement. But big ones are Fidelity. Fidelity has a huge 401k market. And Schwab has a 401k market. A lot of the fund companies have a big presence in the 401k department, and they're holding tons of assets. Well, in many retirement plans, in many 401k plans, if you don't make an investment choice, the money is invested for you. Now, before you totally freak out, this was done because they realized that people would put money into their 401k and then either not even really know they needed to invest it or they didn't know what to do and the money just sat there in money market like the equivalent of being in a bank account and then suddenly when the person's 65 they discover they haven't had 20 years of growth in fact they just have their contributions plus a little bit of interest so a number of years ago, the Department of Labor created what was called a Qualified Default Investment Alternative. The acronym there is QDIA, which you probably haven't heard of. But that Qualified Default Investment Alternative was a fund that your money would be invested in if you made no choices. The typical QDIA is a target date fund. So that if you um, enroll in a 401k plan and you're in your 20s and you don't make any investment choices, then you're going to have an aggressive target date fund that corresponds to the year that you would turn 65. If you're 55, you're going to have a more conservative fund. But the money goes into the fund automatically. So here's the issue the SEC has with this. Let's just, for sake of example, assume that you have a retirement plan at Fidelity, and then Fidelity puts your qualified default investment alternative into a target date fund. Many of those target date funds are filled with mutual funds issued by the fund company. So in other words, you'd be going into Fidelity Mutual Funds, or you could be going into Vanguard Mutual Funds. And the issue is you really didn't even choose it. And on top of that, even people who are aware the money is going into a target date fund and say, hey, I don't know what to do with it. This seems as good of an idea as any. 
they're deferring a lot of money into mutual funds that are owned or managed by the company that put together the retirement plan. Right now, target date funds have about 1.8 trillion with a T dollars in, in invested in the funds. $1.8 trillion is a huge market share. I don't think the SEC particularly cares that the companies are creating their own funds that have their own mutual funds inside of them, but I think they care that the public doesn't know. So this is something you should be aware of, that if you have a retirement plan and you choose the target date plan, the target date fund, you're probably investing in a mutual fund that was created by the platform that's holding your 401k plan. I'm not sure this is a big deal, except it should be disclosed. And so if you're in it and you find this out, I'm not saying you should run go sell. I just think you should know it. And this is just more a disclosure issue than it is, oh, wow, this is a really horrible thing that they're doing. Additionally, remember I told you that the plans or the funds get more conservative over time. That conservative path is called a glide path. So that basically the fund is gliding in for a landing. It's becoming less conservative. It's flying less high and it's reaching wherever the fund thinks you should be at 65. Well, there's two things here you really need to know. One of the things that was brought up by the SEC this week is the glide paths aren't easily disclosed. The information is there, but you as the investor really need to go looking for it to see how fast is it becoming conservative. Now, the issue I want you to know is different fund creators have different glide paths and different funds have different asset allocations when you're 65. So it's not okay just to choose the fund and never look at it again. You need to watch the asset allocation inside the fund and that way you'll know really what you own. And periodically, you should look at it again to see if it's changed. Find the glide path. It will be in the prospectus, but it would be easier if you go to your HR department and you make them help you with this because they can help you find this. They can put you in contact with a representative from the plan who can give you all of that information. It matters what you're invested in. It matters what the glide path is. If you discover that you don't like the asset allocation when you're 65, if it's too conservative, you can always change to a fund with a slightly later year. That would make it more aggressive. If you discover your fund is too aggressive, you can back off on the years and that will make it more conservative. You can, to some extent, control the risk you're taking and stay inside the target date fund world if you're really not wanting to deal with it. So look at the asset allocations, look at the glide path, 
Look at where the funds are created. I really think it's an important thing to do. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with target date funds, but they go wrong when investors don't take those steps. The second article I wanted to talk about today, or the second issue, concerns self-directed IRAs. You may have heard of a self-directed IRA. They're not an IRA at a discount brokerage firm where you make your own investment choices. These are typically held in other kinds of places, and you tend to invest a little bit more alternatively in kind of some more more, um, unusual creative investment strategies. I'm using the words unusual and creative because once in a while, self-directed IRAs work well. The problem with the self-directed IRA is it's really prone to being a tool used by a scammer. And the SEC, that had a really good week this week as far as I'm concerned, they did great with the target date funds. And now I think they've also done great talking about the dangers of self-directed IRAs. And it was SEC chairman, he was at, um, Jay Clayton, he was at a financial fraud conference at Fordham Law School in New York. So these comments are basically taken from his talk that he gave there. And the problem with the self-directed IRA is typically in the custodian. And the issue with the custodian of the self-directed IRA is they don't have any real responsibility other than just holding the assets. Remember, when you have a custodian, unless you know for sure you have an active manager, and this is true with a self-directed IRA or a plain old IRA, that custodian just holds what you tell them to put into it. They don't make evaluations. But the problem is there's a lot of scamming artists and fraudsters who lead people to believe somehow that they've gotten an endorsement from this custodian and therefore it's a safer investment because, oh, look, see, the custodian is doing it. Sometimes the custodian even goes to the conferences where these people who pitch self-directed IRAs are functioning. So they have a booth set up. So it really does look very related. But there's been several legal rulings over the last um, couple of years that say, no, generally the custodian has no responsibility to the actual investment. It's the job of the custodian to make sure that your self-directed IRA transaction is legal. And let me pause a little bit and tell you my ideas on that because self-directed IRAs are much trickier to set up than people understand. And there are many rules where if you make a mistake, the IRS is going to deem that you don't really have an IRA at all and you'll have to pay tax on all the money. I've heard all of the talks I've read the books, and I'm not going to say that self-directed IRAs can't work. I am going to say that you need to do a lot of research if you're considering this option. And you need to do research two different ways. First is you really need to understand how self-directed IRAs work. 
And don't just read the marketing material from the person who's encouraging you to set one up. You need to read IRS code. You need to go in. You need to do searches. You really need to understand what you can and cannot do in a self-directed IRA. Then you need to do hours and hours and hours of research on the investment that someone is encouraging you to put into that self-directed IRA because there is less oversight. There is less data that has to be filed. Many times these are alternative investments. Many times these are more like startups. They have huge risks associated with them. Remember, anytime someone offers you a huge rate of return, it's one or two things. You're either taking a lot of risk or, in fact, it is a scam. So you've got to do your homework. Remember, if you couldn't do this in a traditional IRA, <laughs> there may be a reason for that. So you need to be careful. I'm very glad that Chairman Clayton is taking some time and trying to help people stay safer. I've seen a lot of people try to do these. Inevitably, they're a little iffy. I want you to be careful. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, we are talking about the rule of 72. It can be very hard when you're looking at your investment portfolio to decide what your rate of return is. You see that this year your portfolio made 8%. Last year it made 7%. The year ahead of that, it made 9%. Well, that's great. How do you actually translate that into dollar values to figure out how long it will take your money to grow so you can retire. The easiest way to do this is through a mathematical trick called the rule of 72. The rule of 72 says, first, look at your average market return for your portfolio. And I would look at it for different periods of time. You know, right now, three years, five years, and 10 years are common measures you may get. The problem with all of those is they're happening after the 2008 crash. So this being 2019, yeah, your 10-year return looks awesome. So you might, as you're looking at that, shave off a couple of points because there will be another market decline in the future. I don't know when, but we know it will happen. So we've had a snorting bull market for the last 10 years. But look at that 10-year return. Talk to your certified financial planner practitioner. Make any adjustments you need to to come up with a number that you think is reasonable. Let's assume your long-term rate that you think is a reasonable expected rate of return is 8%. Now, if you take the number 72 and you divide 8 into 72, you get 9 because 9 times 8 is 72. That tells you how many years it will take your money to double. 
So at an 8% rate of return, your money doubles every nine years. So let's say you start out with $100,000. In nine years, if you made 8% every year, you would have $200,000. In nine more years, you would have $400,000. Remember to take that double from the last number you got. Don't just go back to the original number. That's a really easy math mistake to make. So when you're trying to decide how long it will take you to earn a certain amount, it's the easiest way to do it. Remember that 8% rate of return that I said, you know, just assume that. Even though the market return will be higher than that, don't be disappointed if your portfolio didn't earn the same thing as the S&P 500. Well, why not? Somebody's taking care of my money. They should have made what the market made. Well, if they're all in U.S. large cap, that's true. But it's likely you've tempered the risk in your portfolio with maybe some bonds or other kinds of investments that don't make that much. So your rate of return is a function of your portfolio. When you're trying to decide if you've earned what you should have, you've got to compare it to a benchmark that actually matches what you own. Otherwise, if you're a moderate investor and you're always comparing yourself to the S&P 500, you're going to be really disappointed all the time in a way that's not fair. It's fine to be disappointed in what's happening, but it needs to be for the right reason. Now, most people are not all in the stock market the whole length of time. So when you're doing that rule of 72, don't assume the 11% average market return since 1929. You've got to back it off to what you're making. In addition, remember that inflation is also subject to the rule of 72. Inflation sends many retirement plans completely off course because nobody thought to factor it in. If you have inflation running at the long-term average rate of 3%, that cost doubles every 24 years. So let's assume you retired a little early at 60. Everything is going to cost twice what it does when you retire when you're 84. If you retire at 65, that's 89. Right when your earning limits are probably as low as they are ever going to be, and you are locked into whatever your retirement is, your costs are going to be higher. They're going to be double likely what they were when you retired. So as you are doing those retirement calculations, don't forget to add in inflation because things costing twice as much is a huge increase and it will happen every 24 years if inflation runs 3%. So the rule of 72 is a great tool. You can use it in your head. You can figure out how much money you're going to have. You can figure out how much things are going to cost when you're looking in the future. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember that this is your opportunity to ask me a question. 
Now, I don't give investment advice over the air, so I'm never going to tell you what stock to buy or what I think you should do with your portfolio. But I do provide educational answers, and then you can use that information to do more research and talk to your own financial team and make the decisions that will work best for you. I can't possibly help people because I don't know you well enough, but I can provide information that you can take as a foundation and then go to your own financial professional and get an answer that's tailored just for you. But today's question is a really good question, and it's very important because it's open enrollment period for a lot of people. You know, this is where you have that chance to go into your company and make changes to your benefits. You can, um, it's Medicare open enrollment. The Affordable Care Act open enrollment is starting. So you've got the opportunity to make changes. If you have a fringe benefit plan at your office, you may have disability insurance within the plan as a potential benefit. The disability insurance could be short-term disability or long-term disability. Short-term disability generally lasts for, obviously, shorter periods of time, maybe up to a couple of years. Long-term disability picks up at the end of short-term disability and carries you until you're 65. Some employers offer both plans. Many employers offer short-term disability. Now, disability insurance only pays about 60% of your salary. So even if you have disability insurance, you're not going to get your whole paycheck if you become disabled. You're likely only going to get 60%. That's a specific number you can talk to your HR department and find out what actually applies to you. But for most of us, it's 60%. Sometimes you have the option. Do you pay the premium? Or does your employer pay the premium? And the first thing you're thinking is, well, let the employer pay it. I don't want to have to pay it. And maybe that's a good decision for you. But you should know that if the employer pays the premium for your disability policy, if you start claiming benefits, those benefits are taxable. So you've started out making, let's, let's make the math super easy. You make $100 a month. And so now, because you only get 60%, you're making $60 a month. And because your employer paid your premiums, you're paying taxes on your $60. That's a huge cut. It could very likely throw you to less than half of your salary at a time that your bills are probably more than average because you're disabled and unable to work. If, on the other hand, you had paid the premium, then you would receive those benefits income tax-free. Now, it's still only 60%, but at least it's 60%. So when you're looking at your fringe benefits, See what options you have. 
they might allow you to pay the premium. If they do, you might seriously consider doing that because it could make a big financial difference down the road. If you have the option of both short-term and long-term disability, you will have the same kind of taxation on both policies. Remember that statistically, you are much more likely to use a disability policy than actually die and use a life insurance policy while you're working. Now, of course, everyone dies, but you're more likely to become disabled while you're working than you are to die. People don't think about that, and they overlook disability. That's our show for today. Have a great week. I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.